Killer Nurse, the story of Lucy Letby. This is the shocking true story of the British serial killer nurse, Lucy Letby. Based on court and documentary evidence, this podcast dramatisation examines her shocking crimes and what became one of the biggest criminal trials of the century. Due to the distressing nature of her crimes, listener discretion is advised. I'm Joshua Perry Parker, and this is Killer Nurse, the story of Lucy Letby. Episode 2. It Can't Be Lucy. It is June 2015. In his office, Dr Simon White, the head consultant of the neonatal unit at the Countess of Chester Hospital, sips his coffee in front of a mountain of paperwork and records. He is desperately trying to find an explanation for the unexpected deaths of three healthy babies in just two weeks. He traces his finger along his computer screen as he goes line by line over the case files and medical records, exhaustedly trying to find something, anything, a reason for the deaths. He can find nothing. There is no obvious medical cause for the death of these three healthy babies. He sits back in his chair and sighs. The last few weeks have taken their toll on staff, and it still remains a complete mystery. As the sun sets outside, he continues to study the records, line by line. And then he notices one thing, something that all the cases have in common. It's probably nothing, he tells himself, but it seems that a nurse called Lucy Letby was on duty at the time of all of their deaths. He rubs his head. It's surely just a coincidence. A horrible coincidence for this poor junior nurse, who everyone comments that she is so nice and good with her patients. Nevertheless, he feels he must do his duty. He opens an email and types out a formal request for a meeting with Karen Vaughan, the Director of Nursing and Deputy Chief Executive, and Sarah Powell, the manager of the neonatal unit. He meets them a week later, on a hot July day, and shares with them the findings of his research and his concerns. The room is silent while the evidence is contemplated. After some time, Karen Vaughan stands up and dismisses the findings. She says that Letby is a well-liked and diligent nurse. It is just purely coincidental that the deaths happened in her care. An unlucky, tragic coincidence for poor Lucy. Dr Simon White is told to go back to work. This was the first time that concerns over Letby were raised with the management at the hospital and were dismissed. It is several months later, on the 23rd of October 2015, and there have been further tragic collapses, including the unexpected death of another healthy baby, Baby I. Dr Simon White is becoming increasingly concerned and desperate. As he opens up the records of these latest cases, he double-takes as he sees what he feared the most. It is Letby's name again. That familiar and now deadly name, Nurse Lucy Letby, 
was the only nurse on duty at the time of all of these incidents. Becoming increasingly concerned, Dr. White calls a fellow consultant to share his findings and they both contact the hospital management to make them aware again of their growing concerns. This is the second time that they have voiced concerns about Letby. They are again dismissed. In fact, the executives tell them not to make a fuss. It can't be Lucy, they say. Not nice Lucy. Separately, a ward manager has been conducting her own review and has also identified that Letby was the only staff member consistently present throughout the deaths and collapses. These findings were relayed to the lead neonatologist at the hospital. Further concerns were then expressed to the hospital's management by the unit's consultants that same month. Concerns that the management resisted or ignored. It is now December, and with Christmas fast approaching, Letby travels home to spend the festive season with her parents and friends. She has an entirely normal Christmas. She is pictured in her favourite grey and pink Christmas jumper as she sips Prosecco around the tree. However, alone in her room, late on Christmas Day, she opens Facebook and flicks through photos of the parents of babies she has killed. Several miles away, Dr. Wyatt has an uneasy Christmas. He remains deeply troubled about the goings-on at the neonatal unit, and in particular, about Nurse Letby. It is a new year, and in February 2016, Dr. Wyatt orders a thematic review of the cases with another consultant. During his review, he identified links in the nine unusual deaths since June 2015. Letby was connected to all of them. Dr. White sends his report to the hospital management and requests an urgent meeting to discuss his findings. The pattern by now is all too familiar. The urgent meeting he requests is not forthcoming. Weeks pass and he types out another desperate email on the 2nd of March 2016 to the director of nursing saying, we still need to talk about Lucy. It is not until weeks later, in May, that the hospital management finally agreed to meet Dr. White to discuss his concerns. During those two weeks of waiting, Letby attempts to kill two more babies on the ward, and they both collapse, requiring resuscitation. Dr. White stands outside the meeting room and clears his throat. It is 11th of May and he finally has the opportunity to meet with the management and share his report. The atmosphere inside the cramped meeting room is tense, as Dr. White desperately tries to present his case. The management sit and listen, contemplating in silence. Once Dr. White has finished presenting his findings, he sits back, exhausted, and looks the management in their eyes. They are remarkably dismissive of his concerns. They say they have conducted their own assurance and conclude that there is no evidence whatsoever against Letby other than coincidence. Dr. White 
all but begs them. But they refuse to take Letby off duty. Exhausted, defeated, Dr. White returns to his work. Letby, meanwhile, has been enjoying a holiday in Ibiza with her friends. She lays on the beach, relaxing into the sand. She drinks cocktails, dances and enjoys the Spanish sunshine. Not a care in the world. Just an ordinary girl enjoying her holiday. She sends a WhatsApp message as her holiday comes to an end, joking with friends that she would be back with a bang. She flies back to the UK on 22nd of June and is due back on shift the next day. No babies have collapsed while she is away on holiday. However, the same day she returns to work, the tragic occurrences start again. Shockingly, on Letby's very first day back on her shift, she decides to kill again. This time, baby O, a perfectly healthy baby, collapses and dies. A post-mortem will reveal an excess amount of air in his veins. The next day, 24th of June, she kills again and murders baby P. Two babies have died in the two days she is back on shift. This is the tipping point. Dr. White is apoplectic and devastated. He picks up his phone and angrily dials the executive on duty that night. He insists furiously that Letby is taken off duty immediately. He begs, please take Lucy off duty. He explains that through his engagement with his colleagues, seven consultant paediatricians, all of them believe it is imperative that Letby be removed from duty immediately. The executive on the other end of the line listens and politely refuses. Enraged, he says to her in no uncertain terms, you are going against the wishes of seven consultants. If any more babies are harmed, will you be happy to take responsibility for this? Yes, the executive responds. She says that she hasn't been given enough information to justify removing Letby from the unit, and Letby remains on duty. Letby, meanwhile, is becoming aware of the growing suspicions around her. She knows that there have been review meetings about the deaths, and that some doctors have been raising concerns about her. She picks up her phone, and she texts a doctor at the hospital who she is secretly infatuated with. These are her actual text messages. Sat having a quiet moment, and I want to cry. Oh Lucy, you poor thing. Are you okay? Have a cry, you'll feel better for it, I'm sure. So sorry you've had a rubbish day. Do I need to be worried about what the doctors were asking? No, he was asking to make sure that normal procedures were being carried out. We've lost two babies I was caring for, and now this happened. Makes you think, am I missing something? Not good enough. Lucy, if anyone knows how hard you've worked over the last three days, it's me. If anyone says anything to you 
about not being good enough or performing adequately, I want you to promise me that you'll give them my details to provide a statement. Well, I sincerely hope I won't ever be needing a statement. But thank you. I promise. You are one of the few nurses across the region, I've worked pretty much everywhere, that I would trust with my own children. A few days later, in late June 2016, the executive directors of the hospital are convened after a senior doctor has requested that they consider whether to involve law enforcement in the unexplained deaths. By this time, seven unexpected deaths have taken place within the unit. During the meeting, the executives discuss the cases. The evidence is presented to them. Their belief, they maintain, is that the indications of Letby's involvement are largely circumstantial. And further, they suspect that certain doctors are embarking on a misguided witch hunt against Letby. Moreover, reports later would say that they were concerned about potential harm to the hospital's reputation that would result from a police inquiry. They don't want the hospital turning into a crime scene. Although, this is exactly what it is at this stage. This point is significant. If seven people had unexpectedly died anywhere else, anywhere but a hospital, you would call the police. The police would tape off the scene and begin investigations, but not here. Ultimately, the management choose not to engage the police, and Letby remains on duty. A few days later, baby Q is in Letby's care. During her shift, he collapses unexpectedly and nearly dies. It is now that, finally, over seven months after concerns were first raised, a time in which more babies were murdered or nearly killed, action is taken. Let be is at home. It is 5pm and she is in her kitchen preparing food to take with her on her night shift. In her office at the hospital, the director of nursing picks up her phone and scrolls down to Lucy. She dials the number and waits for an answer. Lucy, hi, it's me. L look, I think it's best if, for now, you... She stutters. You, you don't come in for the night shift tonight. I think it's... I think it's for the best if you just do day shifts going forward. Letby asks, Is something wrong? No, she says. I'm just trying to protect you while all of this is going on, as there's more people on days and it will be better for everyone. We can have a chat tomorrow. Letby hangs up, and for the first time since her killing spree began, stood alone in her kitchen. She is worried. Later that day, Letby texts a colleague and says she's concerned she has done something wrong. It's messing with her head, she tells them, to be told not to come in so late. She worries that something is going on higher up. Her friend responds that she's just been unlucky. Try not to worry, she tells her. She texts another friend. I'm having a meltdown, she says. 
He reassures her, you've done nothing wrong. It's the 6th of July 2016. Letby has been working day shifts for several months now. On days, she is always surrounded by staff and patients. The ward is busy. She never has the opportunity to be alone with any babies. Meanwhile, meetings have been taking place at the hospital about Letby. The doctor, who Letby is rumoured to be in a relationship with, texts Letby and gives her the details of a private meeting which reviewed the deaths of baby O and baby P. He texts saying, you need to keep this to yourself. There is absolutely nothing for you to worry about. Please don't worry. There are going to be some recommendations based on staffing and kit, but there was no criticism. Okay, Letby replies. I really appreciate you telling me. Thank you. He also shares with her an email that says that the deaths of Baby O and Baby P will go to an inquest. He says, I know you won't say anything. This email has to stay between us. Is that okay? Of course, Letby replies. 100%. It is a month later on July the 15th, and an email has been sent to all of the nurses on the neonatal unit. It says that they will all be subject to external supervision. Someone will be looking over their shoulder 24 hours a day. It says that Letby will be the first to undergo the supervision. She emphasises that this is not a blame game, but an opportunity to identify areas for improvement. A few days later, Letby is called to a meeting. She is beginning to look tired and worried, the very image of poor Lucy. She is told that, regrettably, the noise and growing concerns are now too much. She is going to be moved to an administrative role within the hospital. Letby is furious. She says that she can't believe they are doing this to her. She would never, ever hurt anyone in her care. An email is sent to staff informing them of Letby's move. It is presented as a secondment to help protect Letby's reputation. She is, finally, away from patients, although she remains working at the hospital. Dr White and all the other consultants who raise concerns about Letby on numerous occasions are relieved. But, for them, incredibly, the fight is not over yet. In fact, Letby's parents threaten to refer them to the General Medical Council after her removal from the unit. And Letby submits a formal grievance about how the hospital has treated her and how she has been targeted by those who have been raising concerns about her actions. We should not be surprised at this stage. But yet, astoundingly, the board reviews Letby's grievance and find in Letby's favour. The board fully supports Letby returning to the neonatal unit and even offer her further development and training opportunities and a placement at a nearby children's hospital. The medical director also commented in the report 
that the Trust's intention is to protect Lucy Letby from these allegations. Even more than that, the chief executive of the hospital meets with Letby and her parents on the 22nd of December 2016, and she apologises on behalf of the Trust. She assures them that these doctors who made allegations against Letby would be dealt with. Beyond comprehension, Dr White and all of the other clinicians who raise concerns about Letby are ordered to send her a letter of apology, which they do in February 2017. Letby remains working at the hospital and is, in fact, due to return back as the nurse on duty in the neonatal unit in May. However, in April, a month before she is due back on duty, the management finally agree to refer the case to the police. This is for assurance, they say. To check there is nothing they have missed, they have no concerns about Letby. It is here where the police investigation into her crimes at last begins, and finally she will be arrested. It is incredible, unfathomable, that concern after concern raised about Letby were repeatedly dismissed. It took seven months, a period in which Letby murdered and attempted to kill more babies before she was taken off duty. She could have been stopped. Babies could have been saved. In October this year, it was announced that Cheshire Police will be launching an investigation into corporate manslaughter at the Countess of Chester Hospital, relating to the period of Letby's crimes during 2015 and 2016. It will consider areas including senior leadership and decision-making, its aim is to discover whether any criminality has taken place and whether any corporate manslaughter charges can be brought against the hospital. A formal investigation has also been announced by the government, looking at what went wrong with the management at the Countess of Chester Hospital. We will cover it on this podcast. However, none of this will, of course, in any way provide any compensation or justice to the parents who lost their babies during Letby's murderous reign. In our next episode, we will look into Letby's arrest, the police's investigation, what they found in her home and on her phone, and how finally she was charged with the murder of 15 babies. That's our next episode, Killer Nurse, Episode 3 the arrest. Thank you for listening. This podcast was written, produced, edited and presented by me, Joshua Perry Parker. While the podcast is based on true events, some names and locations have been changed to protect the privacy of those involved and some of the events have been created for dramatic purposes. Some of the executives referred to in this episode refute the allegations and are seeking independent legal advice. If you found this podcast interesting, Please do rate, subscribe and recommend it to your friends.